Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the Message Trust. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing, check out our website, message.org.uk. So, I've um, got to get myself out of the, the rampant preacher mode now. I have nothing to talk about gentle, humble things. So, need to do a rapid adjustment. Actually, with the cycle road ride, we, um, I had a secret survival strategy. And I've just remembered it because my mate Johnny is sitting here. who did the cycle ride with us. We cycled alongside each other for various large chunks of the ride, fantasizing about meals that we would cook if we weren't in such a terrible scenario and oh I just want French onion soup with cheese and (laughs) what wines would accompany it and it's amazing how fast the miles go past when you're fantasizing about your mum's roast potatoes and spaghetti bolognese (laughs) so actually that was a it was a brutal ride anyway um that's enough of that let's pray and then what I want us to do is is uh really have a bit of an open time together because I'm going to share some principles that are very dear to my heart uh, which I really do try and live, although they're painful. Um, so I'm going to talk through a passage of Scripture. And then maybe, maybe we could have some questions. And I, th- I think normally what I find is in seminars, um, rather than me come with a whole bunch of PowerPoints, like these are my holiday slides, which I did in a Winning Men one. You know, this, here's a presentation. This one, this is about the heart. Uh, we need to dialogue on that. So if there's no dialogue, you guys get an early break. If there is a dialogue, I think you'll get, probably get more out of me that way. But I'm going to talk for a chunk first. But I think let's pray. And let's ask the Holy Spirit to uh, uh, speak deeply into our hearts through God's precious word. So we invite you here, Holy Spirit. We don't just want this to be a talking shop. This is for you and about you because you called us to our higher way. You called us to live the way, be the way. Uh, we might be here coming out of difficult relationship scenarios, work scenarios, business. It's so hard to walk the narrow path. We pray that today you'd inspire and encourage us all, including myself, help us to go deeper, further with you. To live stronger for you, to take the courageous path, not the easy way. In Jesus' name, amen. So I came to Christ at 18 and... Um, and uh, it was a, a Damascus Road experience. I had no Christian heritage. Um, in fact, we, I mean, my family studiously avoided anything to do with church. One of the first funerals I ever went to was one that I was actually taken as a new <laughs> pastor, which actually, at the end of it, the guy said, that was a really refreshing funeral. And I thought, that's because I just made the whole thing up. I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. So, like, church was not a thing, and following Jesus was not a thing, and the Bible was not a thing. The, the Bible I first owned was the Gideon's Bible that got given out at school, which I smoked because it was made of Rizzlers, uh, age 12. So that was, you know, it's just not a feature for me. And my, my, I guess my upbringing was classic kind of working class Essex East End. And my, my dad, at one point, I was 15 years old, um, I was having my breakfast, actually, and he came over with his briefcase. By this time, he was a a detective uh, leading what they called the Area Major Investigation Pool in London. He was a detective superintendent by this point, and he was in charge of the unsolved or incredibly serious, brutal murders. Not like someone punches someone in a street fight and they get killed, like serial killers, 
um, psychos, like bad stuff. And uh, he opened his briefcase when I met me cornflakes, 15. And he pulled out two photographs. And it was a photo of a woman who had been stabbed from her head to her feet. And, uh, and there were graphic photos. And, and my dad said to me, Carl, this is my day. My day is directing an autopsy. He said, I am standing there today and, and I'm trying to gather the evidence that I need. Um, this woman was killed by a, uh, another woman. She's married. She's in a lesbian relationship. She refused to leave this woman. She wanted to, sorry, she wanted to end the affair and stay with her husband. So the lesbian lover, in jealousy and a fit of rage, stabbed her over a hundred times. And um, I was interviewing her as a suspect, and I noticed flecks of blood in her glasses, in the frame of her glasses, old school detective, and we nicked her. And this is my day. And then he said this Trust no one, son. Do what you got to do. Get through life. Lie. Cheat if you can get away with it. Do what you got to do, because people are scum. People are just scum. So I spent 20 years of it. At that point, he did nearly 30. And uh, he said, that's the world we live in. That's my day. Just remember this life lesson. Photos go back in the briefcase, shuts the briefcase, and uh, goes off to work. I'm vaguely traumatized eating me by now soggy cornflakes. And that, that, was, that was the deal. Uh, you know, people are scum and do what you got to do. And then at age 18, I meet Christ. And then I start reading the Bible because the woman that I fancied in church who became my wife actually gave me a Bible, which I still got on my shelf. I wore it out, but that, that's my first Bible. I started to read it. And then I read the things that Jesus said. Then I read that some of the things that Paul said, and I started to go through this process. I can remember a month after giving my life to Christ, walking up the road from school with a girl called Sarah Horton. And Sarah Horton said to me, what's happened to you? And I went, what do you mean? She said, you used to be so out for number one. Now you seem to actually care about people. I thought, wow, I didn't even think I'd been communicating that. But something was happening and the word of God started to go in deep. So I think, well, that's great, isn't it? So you're obviously starting to live like a Christian. The Holy Spirit's doing a work and starting to regenerate you and things are starting to change in your life. But then God takes you deeper. If you're prepared to say, I'll go your way and not my way, then God will take you deeper. I remember sitting on the edge of my bed. I used this prayer out there. I'll go wherever you tell me to go and I'll do whatever you ask me to do no matter what. If you can pray that prayer, then God will start to do some character surgery on you, no matter what age or stage you are. It's actually a very profound prayer. It's straight from the Holy Spirit. I didn't realize how profound that prayer was at that time. And then I started to plant a church when I was 24 amongst the urban poor in Essex. And I came across this couple. Let's call them Terry and June by way of masking their identity. And Terry was uh, dying of emphysema. He was uh, a recovering, sort of recovering alcoholic. June was a manic depressive. They had five kids. 
not much money, house is pretty bare. And they were, I would politely describe duckers and divers. They would like, they knew how to work the system and they knew how to work the church. And many people suspected that possibly their conversion to Christ was a little bit windy. It might not have actually been a thing because they were getting TVs and furniture and the church was even paying for a gym membership in like David Lloyd. It's like, that's not bad going because I've got me emphysema. <laughs> so I need to go down the horizon pool. You know, <laughs> so many people suspected that. But they lived on the estate where I'd started to plant a church seat. And, and so I started to build a friendship with Terry and June and I'd go around there and visit them and stuff like that. And one day, Terry says, let's go and play a game of snooker down my snooker club, which also, remember, the church was funding. So we, seriously. So we got in his car, he picked me up and he's driving me to the snooker hall and I notice that his road tax has expired back in the day, you know, when you had a proper road tax disc. Uh, what a beautiful thing they were. You used to collect them. Did you used to collect them in the thing as well, yeah? So uh, I think, oh, your disc is out of date as I got out of the car. And he went, oh, yeah, I can't afford it. And then I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me. Not like audible. It was like a conviction. Uh, and, and it was something like this. You can afford to buy him a road tax disc. So I'm like, actually, I, I wasn't getting paid for the first maybe nearly five years of ministry. I was planting this church. I had to live off my savings from my banking career. So I'm like, I've not got much money. And I'd set some money aside for me and Karen to go away to Cornwall in a caravan. And, uh, and I'm thinking, well, if I spend that money, we can't go on holiday. I remember hearing the Holy Spirit say to do it. So I said, look, leave it with me, mate. I'll see what we can do. So I went home to Karen and said, no, Terry's not got a car tax. We've got some money. She went, well, just do it. Oh, it's so annoying, Karen, because I keep preaching it. And she actually lives it. Do you know what I mean? It's such a frustrating thing, a godly wife. Anyway, so I, I, I phoned up Terry and I said, I am going to buy you a road tax. To which his reply was, when? And I said, um, well, give us a couple of days. Um, I was going to go away on holiday, but I might not be now. So uh, if I don't go away on holiday, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll probably do it tomorrow. And he went, oh, right. Okay, then. And uh, the conversation kind of ended. An hour later, June phones me up. Carl? Yep. Um, this road tax business? Yeah. When are you going to get it? Well, maybe tomorrow. I might be going on holiday, not sure yet. Well, that's just typical, isn't it? Build up our hopes. There he is, driving around without a road tax, could get nicked any day. And there's you, flouncing around. I'm like, Ugh. that's a little bit annoying. I've got quite a good mind to mouth. And at that moment, I'm thinking, I, I, I just want to destroy you with my eloquence and the power of my words. I want to go around here and tell you what I... Sh sh all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and then the Holy Spirit whispers into my heart and he says, I just told you to buy my road tax. And in my heart I'm saying, but this isn't very nice. And the Holy Spirit saying to me, 
I didn't say it was going to be nice. I just told you to buy my road tax. I buy my road tax. So I'm, I'm now, I literally, I, I thought, oh. I said, to, I said to June, give me an hour. I'll drop it around your house. They didn't even answer the door. I, had to, you know, I, I just put the money through the door, not to, to give them the money. and didn't even answer the door. And uh, I remember walking home thinking, this is just shocking. And I heard this spirit saying to me, I just told you to love them. Just love them. And you trust me with what's happening. And for the next two years, we did love them and love them and love them and love them. And do you know what? Eventually they came through. But man alive, is that a massive lesson to me? That sometimes you've just got to trust the Lord. And it's all about having the opposite spirit. It's not responding the way that your flesh wants to respond. I think there are two natures at work with us. We all know about that. There's our sinful flesh nature. And then there's the nature of the spirit. And actually, I'm going to teach you some stuff now. You're going to think, you're just telling us to be a doormat. No, I'm not. I'm going to call you to go a higher way. And sometimes there's a case for justice. And sometimes there's a case of putting your foot down. And sometimes you've got to do what's right if you feel that God's given you permission. But in your daily personal interactions, which is the main thing I'm talking about, there is a higher path. And it's called being a follower of the way. Christians were called followers of the way until Antioch. Actually, because the way of living was so totally different and so radical, it just stood out. People were sharing their possessions and giving to the poor and, you know, just living such radically open lives. It just shone out to everyone. So I'm going to read you this passage, right? And, uh, and then I'm going to kind of try and talk through it as we go. I've got this terrible problem with no stand and uh, got to take my glasses on and off because I can't read with my glasses on. I've got to that age. It's terribly confusing. If I wear contact lenses, I have to wear reading glasses. If I wear my distance glasses, I have to take them off. Don't know whether I'm coming or going anymore. Anyway, mid-40s, eh? What a shocker. Uh, some of you have gone past that pain barrier, I know, many years ago. <laughs> Opposite spirit, don't get chipped up. Okay, here we go. Romans 12, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Do you know what one of the curses on the Christian world is that really knocks people for six? It's this little thing called comparisons. Where you compare yourselves to other people all the time. And the jealousy arises and it fosters all kinds of weird responses in us. The Bible says, honour one another. You, you find yourself jealous of someone else. Do you know what the best thing you can do is? Say something good about them publicly. And you watch how the Holy Spirit takes out of your heart. Honour people. Do you know how Andy and I managed to work together? People said to us, on a serious note, being vulnerable, people said when I joined the message, how's that going to work? You're two like alpha male leaders. You're two level five leaders. One of you is pioneering men's ministry around the world. No one's been pioneering crazy message trust stuff all over the world. How are you even going to work together? How's one of you going to be a boss and one of you not? Do you know what it is? We complement each other. We don't compete against one another. I only the anointing that God's placed on Andy. 
He honours the anointing that God's placed on me. We're not competing. Do you know why? Because we just want to win millions of people to Christ. Who cares about platform and position and status? How naff is that? With grown men, we're worried about who's sold more CDs of their preachers, who gets the biggest platform, who's honoured. How naff is that when we get to heaven? Honestly, through the lens of heaven, you'd be like, how pathetic. How pathetic. So we're trying to model something in that ourselves. You honour one another above yourselves. Glasses off. <laughs> Here we go. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. This is a hard one. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Do you know what Christian hospitality is? An opposite spirit hospitality isn't just spending people, time with people like you. Christian hospitality, practicing hospitality as a follower of the way, is spending time with people who aren't like you at a time that is inconvenient to you. Opening your life and your home up to people who aren't naturally like you and, and being inconvenienced is such a powerful, powerful thing. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. It's easy if you come from Romford to associate with people of low position, actually. In fact, it's very hard to find people a little bit lower than you. But what he's saying is, you know, spend your lives with the poor and the broken and the needy. That's, that's the call of Christ. Don't be conceited. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For he is written, his mind to revenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you heap burning coals on his head. But it doesn't mean do that because you go, <laughs> look at the burning coals falling all over his head. You, know, you don't bless people because you get like some weird satisfaction from watching them burn up. It's actually you do it because you're giving it to God. Give it to God, we'll deal with it. It's a very powerful thing, actually. If you're facing a tough time from someone, you just give it to heaven. Just give this to heaven. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I write a story in the book about, uh, really felt tested on this. Um, when I was running Christian Vision for Men, we had this filming project, and uh, for 18 months, I had a GT86 sports car. Now, I'm a, I'm a petrol head. Like, I do like cars and motorbikes, um, and, and, and I'm normally driven old rubbish cars and very old motorbikes because I'm an evangelist. In fact, I've said to my kids, kids, as you get older, I just want you to know something. There's always going to be a room for you. There'll always be food. But there's no money. Dad's an evangelist, which has always been a, a thing. But I've loved my cars. And for 18 months, we're doing this filming project. And I had this GT86, which for those of you that are not into this, it's a low-slung car with very usable power. And, uh, you know, it's just a really fun, nice thing. And uh, I was driving it at four miles an hour, a quarter of a mile from my house. And I was staring out the window just before my wife's birthday in December, staring out the window at some new houses that were being built in a traffic jam. And a car in front moved off. And I was looking out the window and moved off. Then I looked out the window again and heard this crunching noise. And the car in front of me, um, 
driven by a, a nice young lady had stalled and I rolled into the back. Um, so we pulled over, and it was that sickening, crunching noise. We pulled over and I got out of the car and she ran the window down manually because it was a 1989 Vauxhall Nova. And, um, uh, and she went, what did you do that for? I went, well, I wasn't looking. So I'm really sorry. Merry Christmas. And she went, oh, let's look at the damage. And uh, we got out of the car, and uh, it was dark, and it was raining, so I turned the torch on on my iPhone. Now, her car was a 1989 Vauxhall Nova, worth, I estimate, about 300 quid, being generous. I mean, it was pretty done in, and there were dents and stuff all over, and it was pretty rusty. Uh, Vauxhall Nova has got a massive rubber bumper on it and stuff. My car, on the other hand, has a high-tech thing called a crumple zone, and was made out of high-tech plastic. Her car was mostly untouched. The front of my car had mostly gone under her bumper, and my car had turned into a pterodactyl. So it was pretty done in. Um, and she actually looked at me and she said, oh, um, your, your car's pretty bad, isn't it? And I went, yeah. She went, Mike, I, think, I said, I think yours is all right. She said, well, there's a bit of paint come off on the bumper, but other than that, yeah, it's fine. She said, to be honest, the car's rubbish anyway. I went, yeah, okay. She went, should we swap numbers just in case? She went, yeah. I said, I'll just have to take mine for insurance or pay for it. She went, yeah, no problem. She said, look, let's just, all right, so I'll just give you my number. Anyway, that was that. And I drove home and said to Karen, I crashed the car again. And uh, she went, all right, fine. So I'll take it for insurance, it's fine. Anyway, whatever. Uh, about 10 days later, um, so we're now just before Christmas, around about 23rd December, something like that, I get this phone call. And I answered the phone. She said, hi, um, let's call her June as well. <laughs> hi, it's June. Uh, hi. You know, the woman whose car you crashed into. Yeah. She said, um, I've had my car professionally assessed. She said, there's over 700 pounds worth of damage. But if you give me 100 pounds today, we'll forget all about it. I am from Romford. I was born in Dagenham. I know a scam. She's scamming me, isn't she? That's what this is. It's a scam. So I'm on the phone and I'm thinking, what do I do? Uh, how do you do this? And I, I've got to get a grip on myself. There's a principle of living the opposite spirit where sometimes you've got to take a deep breath and put yourself in a corner. Ever had that email moment? where you get an email and you want to reply to it, don't. Take a deep breath, put yourself in a corner. Because once you've sent it, you can't take it back. Anyone ever sent an email and tried to see if you could delete it before they opened it at the other end and realised that actually that's a fantasy and it never happens? Anyone done that? Uh, it's like, there's a principle in following the way called the deep breath. You take a deep breath, and then what I do is you put yourself in a corner, metaphorically, and give yourself a good talking to. Sort yourself out. If at an extreme thing, you really can't cope with the pressure valve, what I would suggest you do is get a manual typewriter and type out a blistering reply that cannot be sent by email, satisfy your sinful desires, feel repentant about it and burn it. You know, if you really got to get out of your system, if you're really lacking that depth of maturity, but don't send the email. It's the worst thing in the world. Don't do business by email. On this occasion, I'm like, oh, God. So I went... Okay, yeah, uh, give me your address, I'll write your address down and I'll, um, I'll come over in a bit. Now I'm still thinking, how am I going to handle this? I'll, I'll go around and I'll reason with her, or I'll go around and give her some money. So I talked to Karen about it, I said, look, she's trying to scam me and I think I've got a plan. She said, what's the plan? I said, 
I'm going to write her out a check for more than she's asking for. Karen went, what? I said, I, I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to offer to bless her. She said, how much are you going to give her? I said, well, I think I'm going to write out 150 quid. So let's pray together. So we, we, we stood there, we held hands, and we prayed. said, let's pray I'm a good witness to this woman. And inside I'm thinking, no, no, just want to say, you know, we're going to go around and bless her. And I, I drove around there with my checkbook. Now, I'm not a reverend anymore. I used to be a reverend. I know it's very hard to believe. I've actually been a reverend in two different organisations without committing mortal sin, managed to get booted out of both. So there we go. And that's why I'm in the message to us. Hey, the, the place for mavericks and misfits. So um, anyway, um, yeah. My checkbook said, I think it still does actually, because I don't write checks anymore. I've got one left. Reverend Carl F. Beach. It sounds quite cool, doesn't it? Reverend Carl F. Beach. So I wrote out a check for 150 quid and I went around her house and her car's outside the front. Um, my car's still not been fixed, so it still looks like a mobile pterodactyl. And uh, I pull up outside her house and I, I knocked on the door and I said, oh, Hi, um, I've come around with the check. And uh, I've, I've put actually a little bit extra on there because it's Christmas and I want to apologise for the inconvenience and uh, I just want to bless you. And she said, um, bless me. And I went, yeah, yeah. I said, I, I want a I charity actually. Actually, it's a Christian charity and I just, I just decided years ago when I became a Christian that I'd try and live life differently and I just like to go around blessing people so I put a bit of extra on. And she looks at the checkbook, right? And she sees the check. And it says 150 quid. And it says Reverend Carl Beach. So I'm thinking at this point, <laughs> shame on you, burning coals. And then I'm thinking, and actually, I'm thinking, and if you steal from a man of God, you could be struck down by heaven. And like it happened in the Bible, to Ananias and Sapphira. And honestly, just watch out. But I didn't. She looked at it and she went, oh. And I went, yeah, honestly, you know, Merry Christmas. Um, it's cool. And I uh, walked back to my car, and inside I'm thinking, there's no way she's going to cash this check. Uh, she's going to be overcome. You know, she's going to be completely repentant. and just, She's not going to want to scam a vicar. I mean, who wants to scam a reverend? No one wants to scam a reverend. I mean, that's dodgy territory, isn't it? I mean, there's still superstition out there in the UK. She cashed it later that day because it cleared about eight days later after Christmas. And I was like, how annoying is that? But here's the thing. Do you know what I said to Karen and I said to my mates, and I'd say this in the book, what I really felt was it was worth the risk as an evangelist. It was worth the risk to get scammed. Because here's my thinking, right? What if... What if she one day leaves Chesterfield or she bumps into some other Christians in Chesterfield, she maybe moves where you live and you're running some Alpha course and she gets invited to an Alpha course. She ends up even working with one of you. Weird things happen in, like, this, in the Christian world, right? She ends up bumping into another Christian and you say, oh, she go, come to the Alpha course and, and she thinks, oh, but I met this Christian once. And he came around my house. I did try to rip him off, but I, he came around my house and he was rude to me and offensive and you know, and he fought his corner. What if she thinks that? She might not go on your alpha calls. But what if she thinks, oh, yeah, I met that Christian once. I tried to rip him off. And he was weird. He just like, he gave me 50 quid more. Like, he was a bit different. Do you know what you do when you do this stuff? You put a gospel stone in someone's shoe. 
Like you've given them a limp. Like they're never going to walk normally again. It's like they'll be walking along and every now and again it's like, what was that? What was that thing that guy did? They might think about it all the time, but it's there. It's like a gospel seed of hope. It's, it's living a radically different lifestyle. Your flesh will want to get revenge. But the spirit calls us to lead a different life where we're open-hearted and we seek to be a blessing because one day this life will be over. This is, this is not it. So the following of the way is a deep principle to respond in a counterintuitive way to the things that make your flesh rile up. And you'll know what they are because they're different for different people, but it's the thing that makes you go, I want justice. I want to put it right. I, I, I feel indignant about that. Johnny, the only time I can see that the word indignant is used in Scripture is in Mark chapter 1 where a leper comes to Jesus and he's indignant that he's a leper and he wants him to be healed. I don't see indignance in Jesus other than religious people, people who are blocking the way to heaven and people who are poor and people who are sick. He didn't get indignant about weird letters being written to him, about shopping bills and stuff like that. Like it's different for us who are followers of Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? And it's a very, very counterintuitive thing. And there's a principle behind it. This is what I do. Take a deep breath. Take a pause. Sleep on it. Don't respond to emails straight away. If you're getting a nasty phone call, so I just need to think about this. If there's a relationship and it's going weird, I tell you what I say to people. If I'm having a really tough relational thing, I sit down with people. I don't do it by text. I don't do things by emails. If me and Gary have got a falling out, and we never have, don't think we will because he's a gracious guy. But if we had a falling out, do you know what I do as a colleague and a co-conspirator for God's purposes? I would sit down at you and say, oh, mate, I just... Would you forgive me, man? I, I think I've been a bit of a clown, actually. Even if I think I'm right, I'll put the power in someone else's hands. Saying would you forgive me is different to saying I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? I'm sorry I've been a bit of an idiot. And you know what it does? It melts people's hearts. And even if it doesn't, do you know what I do? I give it to heaven. And I, I really, like, the more and more I've tried to live this, it's almost like more and more the enemy will ramp up the action, actually, to really test your heart. To the point where, and I'm not making a big thing about this, but if you were to trawl back years over some of my social media stuff, I've been really hounded at times because of the gospel work we've been involved in, particularly when it came to gender issues of reaching guys. I've been in one scenario, which I won't go into the details of, but, like, a letter was written to a thousand people slandering my character at one point. How do you respond to that? I don't see Jesus defending himself. He exercised power by having nails driven through his wrists and laid down his life for people. You know, he didn't respond to charges against him in front of Pilate. He just kind of sucked it up and took it. To follow Jesus is to follow another path. It's to follow another way. But I want to say this to you. It's very painful and it's difficult. But there's glory in it too. There's glory in it. It was glory to Jesus, actually. It's a victory against the forces of darkness when we conduct ourselves in that way. I think I'm going to stop there because I'd like to maybe try and get some, like, challenge me a bit on it, ask some questions, put some different scenarios. Um, let's see if we can get something out of this. And if not, we'll have a cup of tea and we'll... That'll be great. I'm happy either way, of course. So I'm quite passionate about this subject. <clears throat> That's why I wrote a thin paperback on it. Hang on. I'm, a, I'm a serial writer with thin paperbacks. I've got stuff in the book about handling social media and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, hi. Uh
Sorry, Whoa. it's very loud. More um, Lord! I just wanted to ask if you do anything different depending on whether it was a Christian or not a Christian. I, I've honestly found very little distinction sometimes. So, um, I, uh, I honestly, um, yeah, that's the truth. So, uh, I treat everyone the same. In fact, I treat a lot of non-Christians as if they were already Christians. That's my evangelistic strategy anyway. Um, but, uh, yes, I would um, treat everyone the same. Obviously, if, like, there's some people you expect more of, but it's surprising the buttons that people have. Now, you could be a godly person and that button's pressed on the wrong moment, on the wrong time of day. Uh, so I just treat everyone the same. I mean, who here has not been in a painful church members meeting? Like, if you're in, say, like, I was a Baptist minister for 10 years, and I know it's like to be in painful meetings, you know, and responding to the op- in the opposite spirit is, is sometimes such a powerful thing. I once had a, when, just before I became senior pastor of this very big church in Essex, someone wrote a letter to all the church members about my character. Seems to be a repeating theme for me, really. And, uh, well, it's, it's strange, isn't it? Um, and uh, well, integrity is so important to me, you see. When people attack my integrity, that's my quit button, you know. I mean, honesty and integrity is so... I cannot describe you how important that is to me. Um, and this person wrote a letter, and I was leading communion, and I preached this, I was with a sermon prepared on love. <laughs> oh. And the whole thing about loving your enemies. God's funny, isn't he? So, and as I walked in, I got this letter out the pigeonhole, and it was this... And he copied me in, this guy, like... He typed this letter out on dead thin paper and then photocopied it on dead thin paper. And I could almost hear his voice. He's typing like... <laughs> I read it and it was horrible. And, uh, and I'm sitting at the front on the stage as everyone's filing in. And I'm like, oh, God, you've got to help me with this. You've got to help me with this. And then I saw him walk in. He's dead now, actually. He went to be with the Lord. But I, I saw him walk in. And I was like, God, you've got to help me. And I felt this Holy Spirit just nudge me and say, just go over him and love him. Well, I want to go over and deck him. You know, I'm going to in my flesh, you know. Uh, but anyway, as I walked over to him, I just, I literally, like, the demonstrations, he's standing there looking at me a bit weird. And I just went over and went, like this. And I went, I just want you to know, mate, I really love you in the Lord. No, I really, I really love you in the Lord, and I bless God for you. And I, thanks, man, for writing on this letter. I've just read it, and honestly, it's a little bit tough. But if that's what you feel, it's what you feel, and maybe we could talk about it. And he went, "Oh, wasn't expecting that." And I went, "Well, it is what it is." And he went, "Oh, wasn't expecting that." Sorry about the letter. And I went, "Oh." Um, I first said, "Do you want to take them all out of the pigeonholes?" Then, and he was like, "Hmm." Yeah. And then I thought, do you know what? Fine. God, God is the judge. God is the judge. But here's what I found in answer to summarize the finish of this question is, I've had more opposition than Christians from Christians than non-Christians. I'm an evangelist. I spend my life telling non-Christians about Jesus. Mostly they're quite fascinated and wanting a dialogue and understand more about Christ. But most of the opposition I've faced in the Christian walk is friendly fire. So I say to people, get used to it. Just keep loving back. Confuse people by the depth of your love and joy. And just confuse them. Take a deep breath. Respond back with an open heart. An undefended heart. Being vulnerable is such a powerful thing in the kingdom. 
humble, vulnerable, open-hearted. Take criticism, take it on board. If it's right, disseminate what is right, apologise for that, seek forgiveness. If it's wrong, shrug it off, sack it off. It's, you know, if it's not a thing, it's not a thing. For me, the best person to ask is my wife. I say, I was such and such a person saying this about me. She goes, yeah, it's probably true, actually. Come on. <laughs> Hey, Carol. Um, if we don't walk in that spirit, what is the result of that, would you think? Carnage. Um, bitterness, disappointment, hurt, um, resentment, spinning to the edge of church, dropping off the edge, numbing and blunting your faith. Uh, Ephesians 4.20, isn't it? It says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Uh, I believe that's the verse. It's definitely Ephesians 4. And, and there's this amazing story of Samson, isn't there, in Judges, where he grieves and grieves and grieves the spirit, and he loses his strength, not because he had his hair cut. It's just that he broke all his Nazarite vows, and the, the, God was patient and gracious, patient and gracious, and then he breaks the last vow, and he goes out to duff up the Philistines, and it says, you know, the strength had left him, and it said, the spirit of God had left him, and he didn't even know Wow. Like, you can so grieve God's spirit. He can flutter away from you. That anointing can flutter away from you. And you didn't even realise it. And the result is death. Injury, spiritually. It's like... And honestly, I'm going to just call it as it is. I go to churches around the country and I know the spirit of God has fluttered away. Like... They think they're successful, but I can see they're grieving God. I see in Christians, I so quickly can tell when I'm talking to people whether they're chipped up or not, whether they're grieving the spirit or not. Now, I'm not saying there isn't a place for tough conversations. I'm not saying there isn't a place for honest critique. Otherwise, we, like we, at work, we can be quite brutal on stuff, actually. No, you see us all bouncing around up there. We can be quite hard on things. We're a professional outfit, you know. We muck about, but we take the mission of God really seriously. We want to stay on the cutting edge, but it's not personal. That's the difference. Like, that plan's not going to work because you haven't done the work on that. That's, that's a professional conversation. The difference is when it's personal. That's when the spirit is so grieved. And what I do love about working with the crazy message trust guys, we're very quick to, you know, if we say something slightly out of turn in a meeting, people are very quick to say, oh, got that wrong, you know. Oh, we put that right. Because that pleases the Lord. We're all going to get it wrong. But it so pleases God, you get God's smile when you're vulnerable and honest and put it right. Yeah. Um, at, our, at our team meeting earlier this week, we were looking at uh, Matthew 10, which has a bit in it, and I'm not very good at remembering scriptures, um, dusting, uh, putting the dust off your feet and being as uh, shrewd as snakes. And it was in the context of, you know, what other organizations should we be having relationship with as we reach out into a particular estate? Um, and the question really is, is there, are there times when you do have to kind of not be the opposite spirit and actually say no and it isn't going to work? Yes, great question. So in the context of mission or missionary organisations trying to work together or being about God's purposes, is there a time where we say enough is enough? 
Yeah, completely, of course. Yeah, absolutely. But it's how you do it. It's all about how you do it. It's, it's, it's like the opposite spirit is to say, do you know what, I think you've got something we haven't got, and I just don't think we're in a place yet where that's going to work, or, you know, there's some differences here, so let's just agree to disagree on that and bless you, and that maybe, maybe give them a gift. You know, do, do, you know like the opposite spirit is to bless people as they go, let everyone leave well, let a relationship end well. Some relationships have to end, but do it really sweetly. You know, I, I, from some of the experiences I've had, I've always determined, I mean, I basically I run the UK work in a message, I'm kind of like a chief of staff type, type guy, really. Like, the problems end up at my desk. I'm like the problem filter and the fixer. And I've determined if anyone ever leaves our organisation, they're going to leave really well. And it's a last resort. And we're going to bless people as they go. And if we invest into people and they rip us off, or I'll bless them, we'll gift them, it's fine. So I think there's ways to handle it. And I think what Jesus was saying with the shake the dust off his feet is you're going in a place, a brother will betray brother and you'll be flogged and you'll be put to death. But if they're hearing my word, stay, stay, suck it up, stay. But if they're refusing to listen, that just, that's fine. You just move, move on to the next place. It's not like, I don't think it's like, I've shake the dust on my feet, you miserable bunch of hellbound people. I think it's like, okay, next place. Next place. Because he's also saying, you will be flogged, you will be put to death, you will face opposition, it is going to be tough. But there's people who are going to get saved. So, so it's that balanced approach. But there's definitely a time to say no. Definitely. No more. I've done it many times. It's just how you do it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And in the charity that I work for, we've got a lot of young leaders, yeah. young Christian leaders, and a lot of them come to me and say, God's told me this, and I'm just going to go for this. And uh, I, How do you get that balance of teaching them to kind of keep humble with that, but also say, oh, wow, you know, God's told you this? Because sometimes it's, God's told me this, so you can't say anything about it, and I'm just going to get on and do it. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, so that's great, isn't it? Because you want people to be maverick. I mean, I think the hallmark of a mature organisation is it can handle mavericks. I mean, you've only got to look at our bands and our crazy evangelists. They're all kind of a bit weird, really. Um, I mean, working at working the message, my day is so weird most days. Um, uh, and I love that. But we mentor people, we nurture people, we have a leadership development plan, we have mentoring groups. I have one-to-one sit-downs with all of my key exec directors every week where we scrutinise plans and we model that. I walk around the office chatting to people on a regular basis. And what we say is this, it's great, what an amazing, fantastic one to do it, let's sit down. Let's have a little look at it. Uh, You know, how are we gonna fund that? And how about we do this? And if people are taught graciousness and humility, they'll submit their plans with graciousness and humility. And when people run ahead of themselves, which we have a lot of, people just suddenly go out and say, I've just partnered with this megachurch in Zimbabwe. It's like a a Mormon thing, apparently. That's all right, isn't it? You know, like, oh, uh, yeah, 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 that's good, that. Yeah, yeah, should we sit down and have a little chat? Let's get the coffee on. You know, you've got to, like, sometimes you have to pull it in a little bit with uh, these guys. But we also teach humility. And we model it. So we wouldn't allow someone to say, God said this. We'd say, I have a sense that the Lord's saying this. Can I submit it before you? Like, there's, a, there's a humble way. I would do that. Like, I'd, I humbly bring plans to a team. I mean, there's mutual submission too. Now, I'm very, I model collaboration. So with my younger leaders, I'll sit down and bounce ideas off them and let them shape them, even if I'm ahead of them. You know, I let them speak into it. And we're not big on status or position or hierarchy in the message, but they know who the bosses are. And, but it's a mutual flow. 
Um, so you just have to model that and keep drilling it in and drilling it in, but allow people their head of steam. And the key thing is, when people fail, you let people fail with the opposite spirit. You don't say, I told you so. You say, I'm so proud of you, you had a go. That's so cool. What are you going to do next? Let's look at the next thing. It's so cool you had a go. That's the opposite spirit. The opposite spirit in leadership is not saying, I told you so. <laughs> look at me, I'm so wise. The opposite spirit is, let's go again, brother. Let's go again, sister. Where do you give to receive from um, mammon or whatever? Say it again, sorry. Where do you give to receive? Um, I, 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 I give, I keep giving, um, but I'm not receiving. I can't find a position where I could give yeah. my all. Yeah, well, I, when do you receive in, God, in God's time? And uh, sometimes we pour our lives out to face rejection. We pour our lives out and we don't see anything coming back. But I, do you know what I believe, brother? I believe that heaven sees what we do. Heaven, heaven sees it. You know, I, um, heaven sees you step back from having fame or riches. Heaven sees your heart to serve. And that's more important to me. And, and you might not receive anything in this life. I mean, like, it's like poor, isn't it? How many times did I face the 40 lashes minus one? I've been shipwrecked, prison, in an inch of my life. And, but, for, but for the glory of Christ. I boast in nothing except, you know, the glory of Christ. I, I pray that I'd have sufficient courage. When you just, you just feel with Paul, don't he's emptying himself, emptying himself, emptying himself, emptying himself. But heaven sees. It's the only way I can answer it. Have you seen it where people have attempted to have this opposite spirit, but it's ended up that they end up becoming like a passive church? Um, that makes sense. Um, no, I don't think so. Because I think Prince was trying to teach here more about your personal interactions, um, but I would never put a foot back in terms of mission ever. Um, it's, it's about how you're handling it if the council writing you some stupid letter that makes you like really your blood boils, how you handle that if there's people who are refusing to cooperate with you or your neighbour who's chipped up about your fence line, boarding his fence line, I mean I found a you know like the classic neighbour scenario where his hedge is going over your board and all of that do you know what I do? Let's go around with a pack of Mr Kipling cakes or a bottle of wine and say how you doing? Don't even talk about the hedge. Or we had one guy who put a fence up about a foot into my garden once, and uh, I just helped him put it up. I thought it's only a foot of garden. I don't, you know, it's just less grass, isn't it? It's cut <laughs> foot of garden. And so I don't think that's you know that principle can be applied to organisations. Choose your battle. It's about battle choosing. You know, foot of gardens. Why go to war over a foot of garden? Why do I go to war over his soul? You just choose, choose your battles. That, that's my feeling. And I think it's the same for churches and get ground down on missionary organisations, ministries get bogged down by the wrong battles. Choose the right battles. I think the enemy uses diversion tactics a lot to throw us off guard. 
You know, he's the master of, you know, the black arts, black ops warfare, isn't he? We, we, we don't fight back that way. We just go back with a Holy Spirit sledgehammer and love people to death. <laughs> this is going to be one more question. Can you shout it out really loud? Because then eeny, we're going to finish. See, we'll see if we can c- combine them very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I think love, to love people is a decision. It's a choice. Uh, the Bible is full of choices. Be peaceful. Be grafted into the vine. Uh, some, it's not about how you feel. Yeah, we've gone so wrong that we've based everything on our subjective feelings. It's, it's about what we do, not how we feel. And the Holy Spirit will bring our feelings into line. And we'll bring our characters into line. Sometimes we have to do things through gritted teeth. And the more we do it, the more we build muscle and heart and faith for these things. That's what I believe. Yeah. 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 Yeah, none of us have an even journey. It's a roller coaster ride. And we do it in partnership with the Lord. We're never going to get it all right. But you meditate on a word, you pray. I mean, to be honest, just to finish with this, uh, I meditate on the scriptures. I'm not saying to make myself sound holy, because it's taken me years to get this right. Every, every week, I underline a few scriptures. I've got a scrap of paper, the ones I'm trying to learn. I let the word of God try and go deep. I listen to David Suchet reading me the Bible on my morning commute, which I find is awesome. His voice for God is like so scary. So I listen to that and I've got my Bethel worship and stuff. And he's just trying to keep in the counsel of the Lord. When I find that I let that drift, because it's a discipline, I find my character drifts. My, my instinctive Holy Spirit decisions drift. I start getting chippy and weird and, you know, you're numbing and blunt in the presence of God. So it's a discipline too, isn't it? Hey, thanks so much for being here. I hope you, it's been good. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support or even get involved with one of our teams.